Good morning. Welcome to The Edge. My name is Brandy, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today during our Advent series called A Thrill of Hope. And I don't know about you, but I don't think there's much more thrilling than the anticipation of Christmas. The lights, the sounds, the food, the parties. Oh my goodness, there's just magic in the air. And you know, no matter how you end up celebrating Christmas and what your personal traditions are, it's a very special time in our church traditions as we celebrate Advent. And Advent just simply means the coming. And for us, this celebration carries a dual meaning because we're not just celebrating the fact that Jesus has come, but we're also celebrating the fact that he will come again to restore all things. So when we celebrate Advent, we look back on God's promise fulfilled with joy, but we also look ahead at his promise yet to be fulfilled with hope. And because of Jesus, we don't just have a thrill of hope, but we have an everlasting peace with God. And so we echo the sentiment that the angels sang about at the sight of his birth when they sang glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill on whom his favor rest. See, celebrating the birth of Jesus and celebrating Christmas through song isn't something we came up with. This isn't like a new, you know, a new idea. This goes all the way back to the first Christmas. The angels literally announced Jesus' birth through song. And I think we could really take our cues from the angels, couldn't we? Because they would have known him. They would have known what he would have wanted most. And I think it's amazing and kind of peculiar that of all things, a song, really? Like, <laughs> they didn't start dropping expensive presents out of the sky. They didn't build a big monument in the middle of a big city and name it after him. They didn't start a GoFundMe or anything radical like that. They simply brought their song, their praise, their adoration through worship. And you know what? What they knew Jesus would have wanted most then is the same thing that he wants most from us today. And that is our worship. He wants people that recognize him for who he really is and a heart that understands its deep need of him. And when we engage that with our song and our praise, that's whenever we really are able to give God the most priceless gift that we can offer to him. And you know, it's not just something that Jesus is worthy of and deserves. It's also something that's actually good for us. Psalm 98.4 says, Sing for joy all the earth. Praise him with songs and shouts of joy. It doesn't say sing because you already have joy. It doesn't say sing because you feel joy. It says sing for joy. So see, if you're struggling to experience that joy, just capturing that feeling of joy this Christmas, well, maybe try to engage your heart and open your mouth and sing more praises to him this season. Seriously, give it a try. And of course, there's ample opportunity around this time of year to sing more, isn't there? Like, if you're like us, we have had our, um, our Alexa playing Christmas on Spotify for the last several weeks from the time we put up the tree, that playlist is on and you don't dare shift it from Christmas music. <laughs> of course, 
that doesn't necessarily mean our hearts are engaged, right? Because so many of these Christmas songs are very traditional, and most of them we can sing automatically. It's just rote memorization. Sometimes we don't even understand what in the world we're singing. I mean, seriously, especially when it comes to the old traditional Christmas songs. Some of their lyrics are just like <laughs> downright weird. For example, the other night, me and Neil and the girls drove around and we were looking at Christmas lights, drinking our hot chocolate. And we turned the radio up and we were singing the Christmas songs. And it just really struck me like how funny some of these songs are that we all sing. So I'm going to throw out just a few little um, commonly known but maybe misunderstood Christmas lyrics from traditional songs and see if you know what the meaning are. So if you're in your house church, maybe I'll give you a second to shout out the answer amongst yourselves if you want to. And if you're by yourself, you can just kind of be entertained by thinking about it. So the first one is deck the halls, you know, where it says deck the halls with boughs of holly. You ever think about that? Like, what are boughs? Like boughs? <laughs> Not a word we use very much. Boughs are actually a branch from a tree. I looked it up. So there you go. Who knew? Another one is, it's the most wonderful time of year, right? We all know and love that song, but it actually mentions telling scary ghost stories. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but that's not something that like, my family doesn't like gather around the tree <laughs> to tell scary ghost stories. That seems weird. All right, so pop quiz. Do you know where that came from? Okay, that is actually a tradition in Victorian times. So there you go. There's the answer to that one. Don't you feel better? <laughs> and then finally, Winter Wonderland, one of my favorite songs. You know where it says, in the meadow we can build a snowman and pretend that he is Parson Brown. That's the final question. Who is Parson Brown? Do you know? Turns out, I looked that one up too, and Parson Brown is simply just a generic name for a clergyman. So they were are walking around the meadow looking to get married and that's what Parson Brown is. So now you can sing those songs and you'll know what those phrases mean. <laughs> but that's really just evident to show you that so many of the songs we sing, especially around this time of year, have kind of lost their meaning or their relevance, especially in our language today. But as Christians, Worshiping through song to God in truth is a staple in our faith, and it is a way to not just give God the praise he deserves, but it's a way to connect with him personally and intimately. And although some of the songs we sing around this time of year are very traditional, they are extremely rich in meaning. And when we rekindle uh, that, the sense of, of purpose and what these words mean, then we actually reignite a sense of peace and joy when we understand them and we begin engaging them in song. And that's why this Advent, we're building our series, A Thrill of Hope, around some of the most common traditional Christian hymns. And today, the hymn that we're going to be looking at is, O Little Town of Bethlehem. You know that one, right? The one where we sing a whole song about the little town that Jesus was born in. But have you ever wondered, like, why? Like, why are, we, <laughs> why are we singing an entire song about a town? Like, isn't this supposed to be about Jesus? <laughs> well, it's not even a town, actually. It's smaller than that. It's technically 
a village with an estimated population at that time of two to 3,000 people. So very tiny countryside village. And it was the place where Jesus' birth had been prophesied some 700 years before he was born. Way back in the Old Testament book of Micah, in Micah 5.2, it said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judea, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. See, there it was, the prophecy that generations of Israelites had clung to, tucked away in the foothills of this sleepy village, the farmland just, just south of the city of Jerusalem, in the most unlikely place. A savior would be born, and except for this prophecy, it was really best known for actually being the hometown of another famous king, King David. Remember him, the, the, the little shepherd boy, the, the youngest of all his brothers, the one who tended sheep on the countryside and then turns out he ended up slaying the giant, the songwriter turned psalmist. He was the one, the smallest in his family, from the smallest of villages, the most unlikely to become a small-town hero, much less a king. But God had other plans. God seems to do this regularly. He loves the small and obscure things of this world. And he loves to bring something out of nothing, reminding us that in him the weak are made strong. So listen, if today you are feeling weak or small, significant or not enough, then take heart because God sees you and he's weaving the details in your life to bring purpose and glory to him. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above the deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth an everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Oh, it's a small town, but it carries big significance. Because the fact that Jesus was born in this town carries three major themes that we're going to look at today. Provision, redemption, and salvation. The first is provision. See, it carried significance that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because Bethlehem the word Bethlehem literally breaks down to mean house of bread. House of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. And see, even though it was a small town, it, it was basically a countryside and it received a lot of rainfall. So it was known for having really rich soil. So it produced really plush vegetation and wheat and grain. That's why they called it the house of bread. A staple in their diet, bread wasn't just a, a tasty treat to them. It was something that was considered very satisfying and also sustaining so that they could do the work that they needed to do. And an even richer meaning, it was historically representing the provision to them, provision that the Jews received from God when he had freed them from slavery and oppression from the Egyptians and led them into the wilderness to get them to their promised land. 
You may remember from that story that God miraculously gave them manna, which translates, what is this? But it was like a bread-like substance that God provided for them each and every day. If it hadn't been for God's miraculous provision of their daily bread, they would have literally died in the wilderness. And so fast forward, when Jesus comes onto the scene and begins his ministry and is letting them know who he is, he literally begins to preach by saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry again. And he says in John 6, 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. In other words, Jesus was letting them know that he isn't just the person that sustains our physical body, you know, uh, just for a day, but he is the one who sustains our life. He's the very source of our life. And it's amazing to think how thoughtful and how detailed that God was to make Jesus' birthplace, Bethlehem, the house of bread. Nothing is an accident with God. He is always orchestrating the details for the express purpose of us coming to know him even when it comes to where Jesus would be born. That's why in Acts 17, 26 and 27, it says, God marked out for us our appointed times in history and even the boundaries of where we would live so that people would seek him and find him. You guys, we serve a God that wants to be found he is over and over and over again making his appeal to us. And even the birthplace of Jesus is evidence of that. Another point of significance in this whole birthplace being Bethlehem is redemption. You know, some, some uh, towns, if you go in them, you'll just kind of notice like there's an air of um, history like there's a significance here. You can feel the history. Even if the town has changed, they'll preserve some of the history. For example, I have some really good friends that live in a historic area of a town. And because of that, they're not allowed to change certain features of outside of their house, their yard, their sidewalks, nothing like this, because there needs to be something of that historical significance preserved in this town. Well, Bethlehem was kind of like that too. It had a very significant story that weaved the theme of redemption throughout, and it was the story of Ruth and Boaz. Maybe you remember that story. It happened way back in the Old Testament, and there's a whole book dedicated to it, the book of Ruth. This story details Ruth, a destitute widow from the country of Moab, who chooses to follow her widowed mother-in-law named Naomi, back to her hometown, which was Bethlehem. In choosing to leave her country of Moab, she wasn't just choosing to leave the country. She was choosing to leave her family, her people, her lifestyle, and even their religion, which was pagan worship. And she chose to cling not just to her mother-in-law, but also to her God. And choosing, too, to work the fields as a foreigner, simply to take care of her mother-in-law. 
And it was in those fields where Ruth was working tirelessly that Boaz, a distant relative of Naomi, laid eyes on Ruth and began to feel drawn to her. Eventually, if you know the story, Boaz married Ruth. And when he did, he didn't just offer her his last name, but he offered her a new family to belong to, one that had a rich inheritance and a place ultimately in the family, in the lineage of Jesus himself. See, Ruth and Boaz would go on to have a son, making Ruth, who was once a destitute widow, not only now a wife with a future, but also a mother. And then she would go on to end up being a grandmother and eventually the great-grandmother of King David. See, that's how King David ended up in Bethlehem, because those, Ruth and Boaz, were his great-grandparents. See, the details just weave together so beautifully, and it all points us to Jesus, because Boaz was really what's called a prototype of Jesus. He was a character that um, that encapsulated his life, encapsulated themes that would be able to point us to our Savior because Boaz was called a kinsman redeemer. And so in the Old Testament, a kinsman redeemer would have been um, a male who was wealthy and had the means and the resources to rescue by means of what he had to rescue someone that was more destitute in his family and take that person as his own, giving him all the rights to his own family and his own wealth and his lifelong protection. That's what a kinsman redeemer was. That's what Boaz was. And that is what Jesus is for us. Jesus Christ is our redeemer. And through his birth, death, and resurrection, he offers us redemption a place in the family of God with the richest of inheritance. He rescued us from our place of destitution and helpless state, taking us from the darkness into the light. 1 Peter 2.9 describes it perfectly, what he did for us. It says, we are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and in to glorious light. And finally, the fact that Jesus was born in this very specific town echoes the theme of salvation. Because see, Bethlehem may have been small, but it was a very rich farmland and it was perfect for sheep to graze upon. So that's why Bethlehem ended up becoming a designated place for sheep to be raised for the express purpose of being sacrificed in temple worship. See, in the Old Testament times, lambs were sacrificed as an offering to God. It was a concrete example of both God's justice and his grace. And it was a reminder to the Israelites of the serious nature of sin and its grave consequences for individuals and communities. God required animal sacrifices as a temporary covering of sins and as a way of foreshadowing the perfect and complete 
sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because the animal sacrifices were never going to wash our hearts clean. They were never going to give us everlasting peace with God. Only Jesus could do that. It was always Jesus, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, born to die so that we might live. But unlike those sheep that grazed in the fields of Bethlehem, no one took Jesus' life. He willingly laid it down for you and for me and for all who would believe. So when we look at Christmas and we anticipate it's coming, we get to point to it and agree when John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the perfect Lamb, sacrificed for our sin, washed us clean, and offers us this free gift of salvation the best gift any of us could ever ask for or want. But like any gift, salvation is just that. It is a gift, and we have a choice. We can take the gift or not. The choice is ours. As I was wrapping up this message this morning, I was reminded of a memory from many years ago, almost 20 years ago. Some of you may remember the devastation that took place in New Orleans with Hurricane Katrina. And if you can remember that, well, uh, we at the church that we were going to at the time, we had organized some different groups to go on a mission trip there and just gut out some houses that had just been devastated. So I had this particular memory of when we were in one of these houses and it was super, super hot. It was, the, it was just in the middle of the summer in New Orleans. It was just very, very hot. It was really disgusting. And the whole entire house was dilapidated. It was falling apart and it was covered in mud and grime and filth that had been sitting there for almost a year. Our job was to gut this house, and I had put myself in this little hallway where there was a little coat closet. It was very clear that that's what this closet was, although there was nothing recognizable in the closet. So I'm kind of chipping away at cleaning, cleaning out this closet when all of a sudden I look up and something catches my eye toward the top of the closet. And it was this gift. It was a present and this present, because it was really high up in the top of the closet, this present was like perfectly clean. It, it didn't have any dirt on it. It literally looked like it had been wrapped the day before and placed up there. And so I grabbed the present and I looked at it and it was just a small little, maybe looked like a jewelry box or something. I don't know. I didn't open it up to see. But what I did do was I stared at it and I thought to myself, how sad, how sad that somebody in this home had gone to the trouble to pick out this special gift for someone that they clearly cared about. And not only did they pick the gift out, but it was like so perfectly wrapped and you could tell it had been planned ahead of time. That's why it was hiding kind of in this secret place where no one would find it. And I thought, isn't that sad? Not just for the person that should have received that gift, that that person never got to see or know about this gift. But I actually 
found myself feeling sorry for the one who picked out the gift and wrapped it and, and the joy that that person missed out on from being able to give it to the one that it belonged to. And instantly, God allowed me to see that as a metaphor that I've never forgotten to this day, that salvation, while it's for us and he's packaged it so perfectly, and when we look back at the Old Testament prophecies and all the things that were pointing to Jesus all along, we were always on his mind. He always wanted to give us this gift of salvation. But just like this person that had wrapped that gift in New Orleans, there are many who will never take the time to open and receive this gift that God wants all to have. What will you do with this gift of salvation? And if you have already received the gift of salvation, then I invite you to ponder it, to cherish it in your heart, to open your mouth with gratitude and praise him because this is a gift that we could have never imagined. We could have never even thought to ask for, but God knew. He knew what we would need and Jesus knew all along that this is why he came. This is the good news, a thrill of hope indeed. And this is why the angels sang. And we sing along and we agree because their words never lose their meaning and never lose their relevance. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill on whom his favor rests. And now we would like to invite you to sing along to this song with a heart engaged. And now that we've unpacked some of the rich meaning and the significance of how Jesus being born in Bethlehem points to him as our provider, as our redeemer, and as our savior, I invite you to stand wherever you are and sing along, O Little Town of Bethlehem. 